Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Get the pace car! What for? Because you hit any other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. Good evening, race fans. Welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to the Drafting the Circuits program. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about this past weekend in racing and preview next week. Joining me in the studio, Richard Uden, Louise Torres. Fellas, what's happening? Hey, it's all good. How are you? It's been going. It's been going. All right. So uh, kind of a quiet week in motorsports other than other than the Formula One race in the Middle East in Qatar. Uh, where Lewis Hamilton uh, is coming alive in this championship at just the right time with two races left. Um, he's got a lot of momentum on his side. Um, and it was uh, this week, it was a max, the one getting the, um, the grid penalties here and there. Lewis had a pretty easy go of it from the get go. Um, pretty much started out front and never looked back and let the action uh, happen behind him. So uh, Richard, let's uh, let's dissect this Grand Prix a little bit and talk about it. Yeah, so it's the first Grand Prix of Qatar. Uh, we'll have a break from it for 2023, and then it's got a 10-year, sorry, 2022, and it's got a 10-year contract from 2023 onwards. So, uh, yeah, we better be getting used to uh, the uh, the Grand Prix of Qatar. Um, and it was a it was a pretty reasonably good weekend. You know, this is this is fundamentally since its inception back in the early 2000s. This has been a um, a, a MotoGP World Superbike. Um, circuit and it's had some minor modifications I think to bring it into line with um, FIA standards for, for Formula 1 racing but um, no, it was a reasonably good event and um, as you as you mentioned there Frank Mercedes carried that uh, domination over from uh, from uh, Interlagos in Brazil um, and uh, I think Hamilton had the the, 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 the biggest delta in qualifying uh, between first and second of the season uh, under dry qualifying. Anyway, I think it was about 0.4 of a second, which over a one minute 20 lap is a pretty big jump for these guys. And the uh, the scary thing for Red Bull is that this the engine in the back of that car wasn't this super engine that they had at uh, Interlagos. That's, uh, that's being saved for the next race. So... They've got some. Uh, there's going to be some squeaky, uh, yeah, squeaky chairs over in uh, in in, in at Red Bull. Um, you know, the next couple of weeks, they're going to be a little bit worried about that one. But uh, you know, again, you're running out of super superlatives for for both Max and Lewis. You know, they they've been phenomenal um, through qualifying. It was uh, you know, Lewis on pole with with Max in second, and then 
Max ended up getting a five-place grid penalty due to um, ignoring a double-waved yellow um, after Pierre Gasly had a tyre failure during qualifying. Now, he, he was a little bit unlucky there, Max. And I think, um, you know, and Christian Horner did get in trouble for this, but I, I do have I mean, do tend to agree with him. It was a bit of a rogue double-waved yellow. It, it looked like, from what I can tell, and I think from what was re- reported, it was an over-eager marshal decided that... Uh, there needs to be double waved yellow, whilst uh, none of the other uh, marshalling systems, so the the beep that the driver will get in his ear, the dash light systems, the track transponders which the teams get on the pit wall, um, none of those indicated that it was a double waved yellow coming out the final corner, but there was a marshal waving two yellow flags. So yeah, I did. I heard. Yeah, you know, we heard the term rogue marshal all yes. weekend, which I was thinking, well, that sounds like a thriller movie. You know, Rogue Marshall. Something out of Star Wars or something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, but I but I digress. Go right ahead. Yeah. So it was yeah, it was a little bit unlucky there. A little bit unlucky. But at the end of the day, as the uh, steward said and the FIA said, it is the responsibility of the driver to to be aware of these these things. And um, you know, they are they are right in what they say. So it was a a justified penalty and it was something that was always going to happen. And come Sunday morning. Um, yeah, Max got that fireplace penalty, dropped him down to seventh, uh, seventh position. Um, Valtteri Bottas also got a penalty, I think, for I think that was a similar incident, maybe that was ignoring a single waved yellow flag or something along those lines. But yeah, another penalty for those two drivers. So we ended up with Pierre Gasly in P2 and Fernando Alonso in P3, um, which was you know good to see. You know, those two guys uh, up, up at the front of the grid, you know, Gasly, who I know we, we've spoken about in the highest regard on the show throughout the year. And, uh, and you know, Alonso, who's had a really solid season coming back uh, after a couple of years away. And, uh, of course, with that nasty pre-season injury that he suffered when he uh, fell off his bike and broke his jaw, which, uh, you know, a lot of people seem to have forgotten about. But uh, apparently he's got surgery on that over the off-season. So it's certainly not, uh, you know, not something that uh, should be ignored. But... Uh, you're going into the race, you know, Max from starting in P7 got a, a blinding start. I mean, he was up into P4 by the end of the first lap. Um, you know, Pierre Gasly didn't exactly stand in his way for too long. That was a, uh, you know, through you go sort of move. Um, and then you know, Alonso, again, the speed differential of those two cars was was it's ridiculous right now. And uh, yeah, Alonso got through. And, and But, you know, in those first five laps, you know, Hamilton had already amassed a uh, a six, seven second lead. And in all fairness, it was pretty much status quo between there and the end of the race in terms of that gap that Louis, it was a big enough gap that Lewis could manage, you know, Max threw a couple of really quick laps in there and, you know, Lewis came back with a couple of quick laps of his own. Um, and it sort of just settled into a pretty mundane race in many ways. And then we had, then we had two or three tyre failures at the end of the race there. You know, Valtteri had one. Uh, which resulted in his retirement eventually. Um, and uh, both Williams, I think, um, suffered from a, a similar tyre failure as well. So it, there was a little bit of a concern there. And then, um, you know, towards the end of the race, Max sort of pitted, uh, he pitted and, and managed to get a fastest lap there. Um, you know, point there, which would, would help. It obviously helps him in the championship standings with, with only two races left. But um, it... You know, I mean, again, you know, we've talked about this the last three or four races. These guys, both of them, are just you know on another level. I mean, it's not even it's not even close. It's 
it's phenomenal. And every week they're just going, you know, taking another step, another step, another step. And I mean, it, it is phenomenal. You don't want the season to end in many ways. You just want to see these two, you know, heavyweights of the sport and uh, just slug it out week after week. It's um, it's fantastic to see. Um, and, you know, the Constructor Championship is getting close as well. That, that's, uh, you know, any single digit number of points in there. And, uh, you know, there are a few permutations which could result in Max clinching the championship in Saudi Arabia uh, in, in a week and a half's time. But um, yes, I, I believe that uh, if I understand everything correctly, if Max wins and takes the fastest lap uh, and Lewis finishes six, Max will clinch. Uh, if Max wins and does not take that uh, um, fastest lap and Lewis finished seventh, he'll clinch. So uh, yes. uh, both are unlikely Highly scenarios likely. of Lewis finishing yeah. sixth and seventh, given number, given number one, you know, his speed and number two, the, re- the reliability factor there. I yeah. Mean. Yeah. Especially with the, with the, with the level, as I say, that these guys are running at right now. And obviously, as you say, from a technical reliability standpoint, um, the only way that I can foresee that happening is a, you know, some sort of incident with, with Lewis. Um, and it's the street circuit as well. So it is possible, you know, there's not these huge runoff areas that you saw in Qatar. Um, they are, you know, they're, they're, there's, there's, there's concrete barriers or metal barriers uh, around the track and uh, anything is possible. Um, but I'd be surprised. I, I, I really genuinely genuinely would uh, going into this last race, but oh, the penultimate race. And, yeah, and not, not, thing, not, neither of these guys can afford to take a conservative approach at all. No, and they haven't. Yeah, you know, the and, last, yeah, no, they haven't. <laughs> last, but, uh, you know, six months, really, since the since the summer shutdown, you know, these both of these guys have been on it in the, the just, you know, they, you really, you know, you, the level at which these guys are driving, even though we've had close championship battles in the past, you know, I, I think, and having never, you know, wasn't really old enough to, to remember it, I watched it, but you're probably looking back into like 88 with Prost and Senna when you had two guys in their prime at the top of their game pushing each other as hard as they are. I mean, yeah, you had Lewis and Nico a few years ago, but I think Lewis is on another level to what he was then. Um, you obviously had, you know, the Schumacher and Alonso a little bit there, Schumacher and Hakkinen. Hakkinen and oh, sorry Schumacher and Hill, but you know there were never, to my mind anyway, on this level of performance where there are zero mistakes and there are zero um, you know issues like this. And and as an aside here, you know if you're looking at, at Hamilton, we were talking about that. I was talking about this with a, with a friend of mine last last race. Do you know when the last time Hamilton crashed out of a race? Or had a DNF that wasn't mechanical. I oh, was it with a Mazda. It was like, well, you yeah, you can argue that that was, um, you know, or he made a mistake. Should we say that crashed out? That he span off under his own issue without, you know, contact with somebody. You know, it was like 2012 or something. It's been nearly 10 years since he made a a mistake in a race that that caused him to crash out. Uh, you know, you, you could argue the Monza one, but I, I, I would say that that was a 50-50 situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the level, the, the, the number of mistakes that that guy makes is, is minute. You can count on one hand how many mistakes he makes a year. And um, 
yeah, the levels of these these two drivers is, is phenomenal. And, you know, I, I touched on it a little bit earlier. Mercedes still have this super engine, if you like, that they, um, you know, ran at, uh, at Interlagos a couple of weeks ago. That's still fresh and still available. And they will be, they'll be running that at um, Saudi Arabia. And to tell you the truth, I thought they had that in the car at Qatar and that explained the speed difference, but they didn't have an older engine in there, which was at the end of its life. So if you have the Red Bull guys and you suddenly see, well, oh, great, you know, we missed out on Paul here by half a second. Oh, that, that sucks. Now they're bringing back the super engine. It's like, hey, that's, uh, yeah, that's not a, that's not a great scenario for them. It's, it's going to leave a lot to be desired there, I think. But um, yeah, who knows? Who knows? But yeah, whew. Yeah, there's a lot of head scratches going on at Red Bull. A lot of, I'm sure they're exploring a lot of different alternate strategies, you know, because they, it, yeah. the way it looks right now, beating the Mercedes on pace is is a tall no. order. It's a tall order. So they, they've got to really kind of kind of look at everything they have in their playbook to defend. I mean, and again, you know, they don't, Max doesn't necessarily need to win out the thing, but he needs to keep Lewis from, from you know gaining <laughs> have, yes. we, have we i'll say if uh have we figured out um maybe louise you have done this if uh if lewis wins both and max finished second in both is that is that enough for lewis to yeah plenty to, enough to, is, yeah the okay. thing so, is if, that'll be a 14 point swing won't it and there's only eight points in it at the moment the thing is if Hamilton wins one, gets the max points, Verstappen scores none, scores, what was it, finishes second, but both of them retire in one of them, it'll be a tie, but Hamilton still loses because Verstappen's nine wins will yeah. is still enough. And the closest points margin ever in F1 is a half a point with Lauda beating Prost in 84. That's a whole fun story, too, that one, but we can get into that on another day. So Yeah. And also to add on to the Red Bull, well, one thing they could work on is probably executing their both drivers' pit stops on equal terms because that's the slow stop. The first one in particular, Verstappen's was pristine, but with Paris, as, as far as the constructors is concerned, that did bite him and gave him more work than he ought have, and that ultimately hurt his chance. One of the big reasons why it hurt his chances from getting more points out of Mercedes into constructors. And ultimately, it led to Alonso getting third out of that whole ordeal. So they got to yeah. get it together on all across the board, not just from the engineering standpoint, but also their pit stops if they really want to stop Mercedes' undefeated run as Constructors' champion in the hybrid. I, th I think you also, but you also there, unfortunately, with that whole scenario, you probably do have to, you know, I, I know what you're saying with, um, you know, them not having optimum pit strategy for, for Perez there, but. Um, yeah, you know, Perez is qualifying, you know, not making... Yeah, that too didn't threes. help either. That's that's inexcusable at this moment in time. Yeah, that um, didn't help either. Thanks you know, for bringing that lucky, up too. Well, they got lucky with, um, you know, in a way with Bottas having his issues. And Bottas just had one of, you know, that, I think that's really fundamentally what probably cost Bottas is, is drive at Mercedes next year. Not that he's not as fast as, as Hamilton because there's maybe only one other guy out there that is. But it's just Bottas has too many meh weekends, 
you know, where he doesn't qualify well and he has a bad start and he's running seventh and, you know, does the exact opposite. You know, you, you saw Hamilton at Brazil and he, you know. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner carved through the pack like the proverbial hot knife through butter there and then Valtteri was just took too long yeah he didn't really get past anybody he was mired in mid pack and you know yeah you you know it's not good when Toto has to come on the radio to him and say you know they had to urge him and when he was slowly getting there then all of his work was lost and that front tire left front tire didn't do him any favors to the point I was thinking if they were really going to go insane about it, I'd put if they really want to win, keep themselves undefeated in the hybrid area and constructors, they ought to make do a driver's slot. But I don't think they're going to be that crazy no, to do it. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's contract, it. yeah, I'm sure there's contractual uh, obligations which uh, you know prevent them from doing that, but yeah, because he's looked um, like literally for a bit, for a bit until Bottas finally got his head together, got going. It looked like straight up JJ Leto in the Benetton level, so <laughs> bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, realistically, realistically, with the performance gains Mercedes has picked up lately, you know, Valtteri should be finishing second in every race. Well, you, you don't know, know where all so, of the, you, you, yeah, you don't know if that is an equal, if they're on equal footing right now, in all fairness. It's, it's evidently not. I mean, it's, um, you yeah. don't know if they've got the same engine. Well, they don't have the same spec engine in there. I think Mercedes have confirmed that. So there is obviously a, performance differential there already but um yeah you know it, it does sort of yeah I, I think this is sort of Valtteri's on the wind down a little bit right now and he's like yeah get me to you know he's probably already got his ski boots on and the lodge set up in uh in in uh in Hinwell there to, to keep him out of trouble you know yeah he's probably ready for the next snowboard Grand Prix race yeah, yep. already, already already got his Alfa Romeo uniforms pressed and hanging in the closet, ready to go. So, pretty much, yep, pretty yeah, pretty much. So, all right, so uh, yeah, so we're off of Saudi Arabia next. Is that is that this coming yep. weekend, or do we have a week off? Two weeks. That is the fifth of November, fifth of December, even. Ah, Formula One has such a long season, yeah. So, interesting. Now, I want to circle back to something Louise mentioned because uh, honestly. As much of a stats guy am, I didn't realize that yeah, in the 70, 70 some odd years of Formula One, the, the the points have never ended in a tie. Which now that no. you, now that you mentioned that, I just have never thought of. But yeah, because it's interesting because it's it's happened in other racing series numbers. It's happened in IndyCar as recently as twenty fifteen. Uh, you know where that uh, most races becomes a tiebreaker, and um, then of course uh, you know the early IRL had the uh, the debacle where they their initial set of rules neglected to have a uh, tiebreaker written into the rules. And they ended up with co-champions in 96, um, even though that was just a three race season, you know, their, their, their starter season, but yeah, it's still, it's odd in the record book, the co-champions of of the IRL. Yeah. And whereas 99, we had one champion that was Montoya over Frank Keaty due to race wins. Yep. And that was, that was also a tie. Yeah. Well, the oddly enough, the other, the other tie was 
Montoya again, Dixon over Montoya up tied. So. And there was also Weldon and Hornish in the IRL standings 10 in 06. Yep. 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 So, yeah. So uh, I don't know if that has to do with the, just the way the points are distributed in formula one, that it's, that it's, it's just become unlikely, but, uh, but again, like you said, it could, it could happen this year, but, you know, this year has been a, a year of first anyway. So, yeah. The only reason why the, the tie in, the, in 84 was a half point because of Monaco. Well, Monaco, 84, yeah, yeah, when Prost won. Yeah, right. We're, right. That's where Prost um, was leading. Senna was catching him in the rain. Senna, a really young guy driving a Tolman. What's it? Uh, catching was, him in the rain. and, and Who broke. was catching Senna? Huh? What's it? Was it Bella or DeAngelo? Senna, Senna was catching Prost. Yeah, but who was catching Senna? Ah, I forget who was. Was it, it Lauda? Angelus? No. I, I, whoever it was, apparently somebody's simulated like the race pace and the lap times, and they say whoever that was would have caught Senna before Senna would have caught Prost. I'm trying to think who was who was uh, because I know Mansell wrecked that put that helped Prost. We yeah, figure who was around who was around in '84. You know, yeah. Let me tell you. Uh, let like, me like, tell you. John John Watson. I, I don't I've know. seen our newest uh, rounding podium rounder. Yeah, it was our new. Yeah, our new. Okay, yeah, and he was catching Senna faster than Senna was catching Prost. And they said that you know if it had continued, then you know. Um, Arnu would have caught Senna before Senna caught Prost, but of course everybody remembers the Prost, you know the you know Senna catching Prost and Prost sticking his hand out the window and all that sort of stuff. Or how the yeah Prost Prost begging for the red flag, which he got. Yeah, which he yeah. got, and it was a uh, Jackie Eeks was the um, race director there who threw the yellow flag at Prost's request uh, before half distance, which gave them half points. Thus. Uh, and Prost lost that championship by a half point. You know, had he had he just held out till they were past half distance, and even if he'd have finished second to either Senna or third to Arnu, uh, you know, he might have won that title. So it's it's just kind of kind of funny, but uh, you know, but the Prost uh, um, point that yeah, it was raining pretty darn hard. It was it was <laughs> it was pretty miserable. So. All right, but that's uh, yeah, that's events of uh, more than a quarter century ago, or nearly half, <laughs> nearly a half century yeah. ago. Now that, that I think about it, so all right. So what's going on in the world of racing this week? We had another situation where a uh, a NASCAR team owner has, has found themselves getting a nasty fine and docked some points for next year for unapproved testing, and this is uh, Mike Harmon Racing. Uh, as I understand it, there was a charity event at uh, was it was it at Rockingham or was it at North Wilkesboro? It was at Rockingham. For, it was at, North, at Rockingham, right? So North Wilkesboro is not suited for any for two so much that Ray Abraham said there's probably no way they could have XRX there in 22, just 23 at the earliest. Yeah, yeah, no, I just you know North Wilkesboro comes up a lot in a lot of chats because folks, uh, you know, they are putting some money into putting that back together and folks would like to see that in some sort of capacity with higher level racing. But anyway, so it's a charity event with both historic and some sort of modern cars, right. Um, doing demonstration laps and, and running. So Harmon's got one of his, the couple year old Xfinity car, a Dodge chassis, which is no longer approved for Xfinity. 
he's out there running it and he's not hiding anything because they post all this on their social media. Hey, look what we're doing to support this charity. We got our, got a guy in our car out here. And, and then he gets a phone call from a NASCAR official. He initially thinks the guy is pulling his leg. I don't think it's a, it's a prank. It's a joke. Uh, but no, the $50,000 fine and dock 75 owner points before the season starts. Um, so yeah, I mean, they don't play around with that. No, they don't, they don't play around. And again, there was somebody who tried to answer uh, their Xfinity cars in an SCCA sports car race a couple of years ago and got busted for that as being unapproved testing. But, but Richard, realistically, are these guys getting any performance gain at all from running at a charity event with an old car, uh, you know, to where this, this, kind of fine makes it you know i know they i know they certainly broke the rule but they really didn't gain the gain the thing did they at their level and no disrespect to them probably not but the problem is if they allowed that to happen, and then you know it'd be fair game for the bigger teams to go out there and oh we're running an old car yeah it's an old car but with new parts on they're doing reliability testing on it they're doing you know driver coaching driver change training all this sort of stuff you know team member training um you know all these sort of things that you really don't want them to be doing so yeah it is a little bit of a uh a sort of an extreme punishment should we say but it sets the precedent and if you don't then people will just say fair game boys let's go at it and uh it's all gonna get a little bit messy if they if they don't stamp it out pretty quickly so I guess the moral to the story is before you do anything, check with NASCAR first. <laughs> well, you see, they should you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, but I mean, in all fairness, the onus is on them. They should know that. They right. should know that they can't do that. Right. They were a uh, last-minute entry, too. Apparently, from the yeah. events, Facebook page was saying that Mike Herman, it was a last-minute entry thing. They were basically unaware that they were going to bring some Xfinity cars with it's just how uh, it's just like if you're gonna do something like this, you either get a prior approval or just don't do it, or just bring in the Dodge and just put somebody else in the car. That isn't you, the owner, and sometimes driver. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, and, yeah. And it really mm-hmm. depends how they go about it. See if they're willing to let the appeal be on their favor. Because I know when Mario Goslin did the, and Alex LeBay. Gosling being the team owner and all that just happened. I think they eventually got it all sorted out where they reversed the decision. I think that you may see that they would, they'll probably, they may get away with the fine and that be cleared, but I don't think the penalty points will be reduced. Yeah, there's some discrepancy. Somebody was pointing saying, like, if they really don't want to be on the whole, miss every race, be a go, go home team. Start all over from scratch, be at zero rather than try to make every race and take about three months to get back to the positive yeah, numbers. Exactly. Because I took Carl Long's team, the 66 team of Timmy Hill in 2020, about a good three months to get out of the negatives because of the 75 was the massive point panel they got it from post qualifying to Daytona. Yeah. Because of the nose modification to where they. Suspended the they ejected the crew chief from being calling the shots and Timmy Hill finished third, but because of the negative points, they still had to re, they still had to regain them all. Yeah, right. Now those those older points are important in the fact that they determine uh, 
end of end of season prize money. Is that correct? End of season prize money and whether or not you'll you get a provisional or qualify and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So so now I hear that qualifying is going to be back in all the races next year, all the cup level races anyway, and practice will be back in many of the races. So which is which is kind of good that we're returning to a normalcy there. I mean the whole. That's just most of them are going to be fifteen minutes one five. Yeah, but that's better than you know drawing names out of a hat or or, or you know. Oh yeah, the metric system qualifying that where Larson pretty much was pole for like fifteen of those in the metric yeah, system. Yeah. Which so essentially were glorified car owner points right now qualifying lineups where it doesn't count in the record book. So when you look at it, Larson theoretically only had two poles and the two other drivers had like one. Which right, probably but- explains why the clash is open to everyone this this coming February because there's, you know, there wasn't really qualifying to begin with. Yeah, nobody really earned poles. So, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, but in that respect, it'll be it'll just be nice to see a, a bit more of a return to normalcy because you know all we've all grown up with racing featuring practice, qualifying, and then the race, and that's kind of the way things are supposed to be in the world. So uh, yeah, it'll be nice to see a return to that. Now, it'll now- help the fan experience side of things just a little bit, but they also got to figure out how to expand on it because I'm thinking if they really want to get people to come to the races, the three day weekends and all that, you make it every bang worth your buck. They got to take some pages out of F1 and IndyCar quite dearly if they're going to get some massive revenue, because that's one of the things that was talked about at the state of the sport address at Phoenix as being one of those main concerns, along with attendance, where if they don't get it together, they could be in trouble like Texas and Kansas to where Texas, they realized that what they had was just not good at all. But then again, people will say, oh, it's just Texas. So who cares? But for Kansas, they surprised them because they have two dates to where there's got to be a lot of decision making. How they're going to get the fan experience to where it was back in the 2000s, where they had your NASCAR race days and all of that on site or track side. Because right now, if you look at Formula One's way or even IndyCar, they seem to know how to get crowds to stick around for their concerts or their feeder series and so on and so forth. And with the past couple of years, I really haven't had that because it's just like show up on race, show up and race, and that's it. We'll see how in 22, if we're going to see an upward trend on crowd attendance. If not, they got to look at something different to get them to come to the races. Yeah, I mean, well, NASCAR, I mean, IndyCar suffers the same sort of thing that NASCAR is suffering on, on their oval tracks, which is just, just kind of like a lack of track action. You know what I mean? Uh, where there's just uh, like like the last couple of years, IndyCar was at Pocono, right? They didn't even have any decent support races. You know, they had the they local, had none really. They, they had the local SCCA, uh, you know, <laughs> running Formula Vs, and then they had um, some demonstration laps with historic cars. Uh, but yeah, but no, you know, no Indy Lights, no Formula Two Thousand, no, you know, no no truck race or anything like that. So, yeah, in the way it up, but but by contrast, you go to a place like Long Beach or uh, Nashville, where there's just uh, these street races in Detroit. It's just packed, wall to wall racing all day, combined with uh, concerts and other ancillary events, and and these these street races are are held in a place where you can uh, you get stroll somewhere and you know duck into a bar or, or get a bite to eat, or uh, you know if you're at an oval track, you're stuck there. 
you know, and then sometimes there's these gaps of hours with nothing going on on the track. And, and you know, you can only look at the souvenir trailers so many times, you know, <laughs> so it's, yeah. And I think really, that's going to be key for those oval races. I know is, yeah, I mentioned it, it, it snake gets, pit will be back up and running next year. So there's that, but outside of Indy, there's really not much to think about. Cause when I was at gateway, you had your, some feeder races like Arca and all of that stuff. But other than that, it's not much to really look around. I'm not sure how Iowa are going to pull that thing off because they're high view putting a good amount of money to keep that track active for the time being. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see what they do there. And they've, they've tried, they tried a bunch of gimmicks at, at Milwaukee several years ago, you know, where the, where they, they set up the, what they call it the Indy fest. That they even had a little carnival in the infield, you know, with carnival rides and everything else, uh, you know, just to kind of keep plenty to do for folks and for families. And they, they slashed the ticket prices to where I think it was only like 25 bucks to go to the race and still couldn't pull a crowd, you know? So yeah. it's, it's just, it's really, it's a conundrum, but this is, this is why you see more and more street and road races popping up because they're, they're more of, a success when it comes to um, the, the ticket gate. Yeah, most certainly. We'll see how uh, open wheels. It seems like they got it down to almost near perfection. Sure. There's some infrastructure like management and security and crowd flows that need work on, especially on the newer circuits. And you'll, and you'll, you'll have that. And we'll see how it, they figure out to improve it because that's going to be key. If they want to keep certain venues around or add newer ones to keep the infrastructure, the format going. But and as far as the NASCAR side of things of the road courses, we'll see how this 22 will look like because Coda was an absolute disaster from what I've heard of all counts. It was an absolute disaster to where not even drive, driver security, didn't even knew which ones were drivers, which ones were fans for crying out loud, or what's a hard card and what's not a hard card and so on and so forth. It's an absolute, it was an absolute disaster. And no, and I only heard that from word of mouth and from vlogs because obviously I was at Indianapolis during the month of it, but I was still in the know what was going on. They just got to get yeah, that yeah, thing that, together. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's Coda who hosts formula one very successfully every year <laughs> and uh, can't get it together for NASCAR race. I don't know if that's whoever they're, they're, bringing in for volunteers or being poorly trained or what, but yeah, that's kind of inexcusable. If you've got people at security who don't know, don't know what, what card to check for. So, wow, well, is what it is. I guess they'll, uh, I guess the lesson learned. And, and then of course the, the rain didn't help the situation for NASCAR Dakota very much either. So no. uh, we'll see how long that one lasts, but uh, you know, no, I still stand Coda is among one of the, uh, one of the worst races of the year of all sanctioning of all the tents of purposes, one of the worst race weekends of the whole calendar year, along with spa and tor- obviously what happened to spa, I can understand it, but also it's just, what was, what was the deal with that? And also the Indy road course for cup, that was absolutely disastrous. Xfinity held their own Indy car is Indy car. You know, they, they'll find a way, but a cup was just absolutely appalling to this day, how bad it was the final hour and a half of the race. Yeah, yeah, that one that one took a while to finish. Yeah, so All it right, looked good until then. <laughs> it did, yeah. Uh, I, I enjoy the IndyCar road course. I, I do, uh, but um, okay. So let's talk about a new topic. So 
Uh, we got a, a guy, uh, Brad Keselowski, who is now um, settling into his role as part owner of uh, Roush Fenway, and they they unveiled their new name and their new logo, which is Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing. Um, it's or, a shock or, there, isn't it? Or RFK Racing, you know, which reminds me of the old RFK Stadium in Washington where the Redskins used to play. But, uh, yeah, RFK uh, Racing. You mean, Washington uh, fo- you mean Washington football team? The football uh, team. Washington That's... football. They were called the Redskins then. Yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> I just so, like um, saying the football team with emphasis, like the football team, like those generic I, video game commentaries. You, okay, so so we're we're off uh, we're off topic of racing, but I'll just throw this out. Sorry, I was I was scrolling through um, the television on a Sunday one day, you know, scrolling through the guide there, and it says Pittsburgh Steelers versus football team, and I'm like, which one? I said, what? And then then it clicked. Oh, Washington. Okay, but it said literally it said. Pittsburgh Steelers versus football team. Isn't that uh, the one where they beat the Steelers and ended their undefeated run like last I year? I don't. It must have been last year. I don't know. I just, I just saw it in the guy that just said football team. I'm like, well, obviously they're playing a football team. Which one? It's not like they're going to play a baseball team. At least Cleveland um, got it together, called themselves the Guardians, or so think, because they're in a legal copyright trademark dispute with the name Guardians right now. Yeah. All right. So anyway, we're we're way off. Uh, back to RFK racing. <laughs> back, to, back, to, back to RFK racing, and and along with uh, RFK racing, a lot of the other NASCAR teams have been doing quite a bit of testing on the new car for next year. We've we've seen uh, pit stop testing. We saw um, was it Austin Dillon? Yep. Do so the crash, two laps do, in. Do, the, do the crash testing. So yep. William Byron at Epic saved Danny Hamlin getting sideways. Yeah, so a lot of these guys are saying the cars are a bit of a challenge to drive. Now, now, Richard, um, let's let's talk about this. Obviously, they're learning something new. Um, yep. These cars are wildly different than than what you're used to. But but mm-hmm. do you feel like um, that that the, the drivers saying they're difficult to drive off the bat? Do you feel like that's a that's a bad sign, or is that just something that'll you know by the time they have enough comfort? you know, and seat time in that car and the, the teams have enough time to work on setups and that'll, that'll go away as a complaint. I mean, it's not exactly like they're going to Walmart in a Chevy Malibu, is it? I mean, the things, you know, they, they've got to be hard to drive. You know, these are some of the best stock car races in the world. So you want it to be difficult. You don't want it to be a, you know, a procession. And um, it, 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 I think a lot of the reason is because it's new for them. You know, a lot of these guys have been so, um, ingrained if you like in how to you know drive a stock car that that's all they've done for the last in some cases 20 plus years um but then you know and i think it does play into the hands of the guys like you there i say kyle larson who races anything and everything so he's used to having the different feel of different cars and different setups and how to adapt his how to adapt his driving style on any given weekend. So I, I I really genuinely don't think it's you know for some of the guys it's not going to be a problem, but for others who have never driven anything else, uh, you know in in, in you know twenty odd years, it, it is going to be difficult. Yeah, um, but I don't see a problem with it. As I say, these guys are supposed to be good, so have at it, boys, and get on with it. Yeah, I mean anybody will tell you an IndyCar car is very difficult to drive, but at the same time the drivers love it. Yeah, 
The yeah, oil, I mean, oil, it's hard to drive, but we like it that way. Exactly. You know, so, so, yeah. The yeah. curious question will be: judging on what we saw, Dylan's left front away, its suspension damage, and we're going to see more of that. Be mm. kind of like. I don't know. Is it, I know you'll have it depending on impact, but I'm just curious to see how much of suspension damage, like tires, will be coming off their cars. Come and it's going to be again, because in the '90s, when you have a hard hit, they would tend to rip off. And yeah, they should still be tethered on that. They should. I mean, they did have the te- You know, under the old gen cars, they had tethers on the suspension setup. So I'd be amazed if they got away, took the tethers away. Um, Obviously, it's not tethered like a Formula One car. No, car. You know the the Formula One assemblies, but um, yeah, I'd be surprised if they've got away from that. Yeah, you know. But we'll see how. I'm curious to see. I'd love to have known see how the tires tether specs would be for next month at Phoenix, but that obviously that kind of plan kind of fell through. But we'll see how that'll look in a couple weeks. I guess there's still that concern of. How safe is this car compared to the next gen in terms of because some people are kind of concerned that they're saying, oh, this car, this car, we're going to see a lot of hospital bills type of thing. Who comes up with crap like that? I'm sorry. Yeah, I was going to it's say any- absolute ridiculous because yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you right now, NASCAR are a serious organization. You look at whenever there's a big accident, whether it's, you know, in the last three or four years, you know, or if not long, you look at Austin Dillon's record data and you look at, um, Ryan Newman's record Daytona, you know, they take that stuff incredibly seriously. And they know that, God forbid, anything happened to one of these drivers, it's seriously bad news for the sport from a publicity standpoint. You know, in the ninth, in, you know, I dare say in, you know, previous generations, you know, I hate to say it and be flippant about it, but a driver death wasn't always a bad thing for the sport because it did get, you know, viewer figures in, but, or, you know, got column inches in, in newspapers and the like. But nowadays, it's bad news. And they will have covered every single inch of those cars to make them as safe, if not, if not safer, than the previous generation car. And these people that turn around and say, oh, they're not going to be safe, they just shut up. I'm sorry. Yeah, they're, got, yeah, they're just yeah, they're trying to create yeah. a story that doesn't exist. But, but exactly. The fact, it's but so the, much so but, that, like, yeah, Phelps was talking about that they – they trying to get their input from the drivers. It may have taken a little bit longer than they would have liked, or in general, but at least they're having discussions about it. But it then and brings the you know, and it's not just NASCAR doing this. You know, these cars have gone through, and I can't remember who did it, but I know they've definitely had independent crash testing, and their data analysis from all of their testing was was analyzed independently. And again, these ind- you know, I've worked with some of these independent crash testers in in in, in previous you know, roles in different industries. And they don't put their name to something unless it is bulletproof. You know, where well, it's sort of safe. And then they get a lawsuit when something goes wrong because well, you said it was safe. They know what they're doing. Yeah, um, but I mean, but uh, the, the fact, the fact is that there has been a, a real shift in the thought process behind race car design uh, sometime, you know, between the, 70s and continuing uh you know through today where uh you know cars were made used to be made just for, for making it as light as possible as fast as possible you know whatever yeah uh, you know reliability be damned driver be damned now all that's those safety considerations come first before they start worrying about the speed and and, and this has been a trend in the industry that that has 
you know, continued as we have, you know, better crash data yep. sort of thing. I mean, if you remember in the eighties, you, how many, how many, how many IndyCar drivers from the eighties do you see that don't walk with a limp this day and age because of where the driver's yeah. feet, feet were positioned till they figured out, Oh, maybe we shouldn't have the guy's feet ahead of the rear wheels. Um, you know, front so wheels. You the front wheels. Yeah, you're correct. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really interesting. That would, yeah, that would be, yeah. So, but, uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, but like I said, the safety considerations come first. So I think any argument that this car is not going to be as safe is, is number one, ridiculous, but there is an argument to be made that maybe the car will be a bit more, what's the word fragile when it comes to damage yeah, yeah. to things like That's uh, not a bad thing, is it? suspensions and hubs and whatnot. Cause I mean, NASCAR, there was a time you could just, you know, if you bang it up really good, you just, get out that 200 mile an hour duct tape, tape it back up, get back in the race. You, you may see more DNFs with, uh, Oh yeah. Well, because, we'll, we'll, these, we'll these, see them. Yeah these, car, see- yeah. these cars have considerably more suspension components and whatnot. And, and then the geometry is a little more complicated. So you may see more DNFs. Um, but, but I don't think you're going to see more hospital bills. I think that's, that's malarkey. I think we'll see. Yeah. A, I'll see. We'll see an emphasis. Red flags being too re- very regular because they'll stop for anything these days almost. Because isn't their car supposed to be similar, inspired by IMSA and supercars? So if you see how heavy those impacts are for those vehicles, you're going to see a lot of carbon fiber and debris to the mid. Yeah, I know that uh, Action Express, who are probably the leading IMSA uh, team, they had big input and they helped. NASCAR quite extensively in the design and the fabrication of some of the early prototypes of this car. So yeah, you're very right. There is a, a very strong uh, influence from IMSA in these cars. Yeah. Yeah. So be curious to see how they'll go about it. But I, I said to somebody that if anything, depending how the incidents are and how, okay. The serious question is, do you feel like it, that, the racing is back to the hand of the drivers when they're talking about how difficult it is to drive. Yeah, I wouldn't know. I don't know about that. But I think what it does, it will encourage and it will treat, it will create is the drivers that know how to respect the car and respect the competitors and respect the guys around them will be the ones that succeed here. We're not talking about guys that sort of bang doors at 200 miles an hour and all that sort of stuff because Bits will, as you said, their bits will fall off pretty damn quick. And you know what? Team owners aren't going to be playing that game too long. So I think it's, um, you know, I think you'll get a better quality and a better standard of racing going forward with these new cars. Yeah, well, the sir, whole, the whole hope. yeah, yeah. Well, the whole rubbing his racing, you know, is may have to go away along with oh, I you know wanted to rattle his cage or to the air off his spoiler, those those sort of things. Yeah, these guys need to be a little more careful because the cars the cars will be a little more fragile because they're more sophisticated and more yeah. expensive we, than we, ever we, before. Yeah, but which is what the sports need. You know, the sport needs to be in the current century. I, I firmly yep. believe that, and I just. Well, you know, I, I read social media comments that that, that make me cringe when it's all, oh, these guys are ruining NASCAR with their tires supposed to have five lug nuts. I'm like, golly, mm, you're going to see it in Xfinity and trucks. Gonna, I was going to say we've had single single lug nut, um, you know, in uh, all other forms of racing since God the 1950s. You know, yeah. So, yeah. For me, so, the yeah. five lug nut thing is like it's like. You sure I took the photos of them working on it the last time for Cup primarily because it's going to be the last for Cup, but people are 
forget that it's just only in cup for now. You're gonna still see an Xfinity and trucks and Arc and all that jazz. So that won't go away. It's just the fact that it's just only on Sundays. You're only gonna see one log night, and also they get to keep it. They, it's not gonna be like a collectible per se, because those yeah. one. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's one of my. Favorites. I've got plenty at home. If anybody uh, wants, yeah, I've, I've got, yeah, I've got. Uh, I, I picked up two at Phoenix because I knew it's like I might as well pick some up and just keep them. I'm not. Yeah, it's I, not I, going for sale. Yeah, I've got plenty of those. Uh, you know, yellow painted lug nuts. <laughs> so, because they'll, you know, you're you're leaving the media center, they hand them out to you after the race. So here you go. You want some? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, this car they came up. No, all right. No, so, I yeah. had to pick. I had to go check it out and pick them up myself. They don't hand it out like that. Oh, this is like Kentucky. The guy had a oh, okay. Literally, okay. literally the guy had a bucket for lug nuts handing out to us as we left the media center uh, on the way out the gate at the end of the race. Here you go. Here you go. Take your, you know, <laughs> save us the trouble throwing these out. So, yep. um, but anyway, so yeah, but one of the, the weirdest arguments I read, and I was trying to explain this to this person, which some people there's no explaining to. They said, Oh, it's gonna be more dangerous with uh, the one lug nut because you have more tire tires falling off. I'm thinking, well, I said, I said, now think about this. Think about this, right? If you have, so IndyCar uses single lug nuts. Every now and again, they don't get one on there properly. What happens? Usually the, the tire comes off the car before it gets to the, up to speed and to the end of pit lane. Right? Yeah. Graham Ray um, at the Indy 500. That was, yeah, that's a little bit of, he got a little farther than usually, but usually it's off there, right? If you've got three tight lug nuts and two falling off, uh, it, it may be till that guy's at full speed after the green comes out till he realizes he's got a major vibration that puts him in the wall. So, mm -hmm. so what, what's safer there, you know, coming to a stop at the end of the pit lane without a tire and having to push the car back or, or getting in the wall when you got a major vibration, of course, you know, you try to I mean, argue, or it could be argue with idiots and it doesn't work. So, yeah, it's like you'll know it or unless you, very rare you have the weird, bizarre circumstances like with Jeff Andretti at in, in 92, where it comes off on full speed almost or coming up to full on race speed, to be correct. Yeah, but again, very rare, very rare. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. All right. So, where I had to go back to 92 to reference the very rare element of the tire falling off at full raw speed compared to Ray hog. That's just exit out of pit road. All right. So what, what other news do we have? Tony Stewart got married evidently. Yep. We have top dealer dragster, uh, Leah, Leah Pruitt. Yeah. About, about time, right? He's, he's in his fifties now, isn't he? Yeah. He's 50. Well, yeah, about time he settled down. So good for him. Congratulations to Tony and Leah. Uh, another little tidbit of news that I, um, the other day, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, Boyle racing, um, which, uh, was a, one of the bigger open wheel race teams in the thirties and forties. Um, the a guy named Wilbur Shaw drove for them and won the Indy 500 a couple of times. Uh, there's a great documentary out there about uh, Boyle racing and it's called Brickyard empire. And it was, it was put together by the folks that, um, also produced dinner with racers. Now, it used to be on Amazon, but it's not on there now. So I'm not sure where you can see it, but it's very interesting. And, of course, Mike Boyle, who was the uh, the team owner, uh, it's allegedly a uh, mafia boss guy. So uh, team was fueled by a lot of money. So and, and when I say allegedly, I mean mafia boss guy. <clears throat> but a very interesting story. And the whole thing that where they had to they had this Maserati shipped over from Europe. 
And then the, the first one they got, they sent the wrong car. And so they had to have it shipped over again. And this is, you know, this is in the 1930s. So you're talking, you're waiting six months for this thing to come over on a ship. Uh, and the second one they got, the, the it had gotten waterlogged somehow on the ship there. The engine was full of seawater. So they, so I guess the third time was the charm. They finally got that Maserati in there and dominated the Indy 500 two years in a row. So anyway, so I tell you the story because the old foil racing uh, shop uh, was pretty much almost nothing left of it for years and years. And somebody had purchased it and they fully restored it. And so the front half of the building is a microbrewery called uh, the Gugman house. So they got a microbrewery and they have a tap room in there. Then they have a nice event space, but in the back half, they have restored the garage uh, to how it looked in the thirties. They've got it loaded up with uh, memorabilia. They've got uh, the old race hauler in there. Uh, they had the, they had an event there the other day where the place was granted a historical marker from the Indiana racing Memorial society. Uh, so they had the, um, the Maserati on loan from the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum out there, but uh, they've done a really nice job with that place, preserving some racing history again, granted a historical marker. Uh, so if you're in the Indianapolis area, go check that place out. Um, the, uh, the the craft beer is really good, and the, the tour through the museum is something uh, that you won't want to miss. Uh, if, if you if you love racing history, they've got a lot of neat stuff in there. So and that that happened this past week, so. And to refer to going back to the documentary, I think if I remember seeing a post that their deal with Amazon ended, so they're working on something to get it on a different platform. So maybe that episode could be restored. I'm not 100% sure. So that's kind of what happened. I think it's, it's, I think it's out on YouTube somewhere you can find it, uh, but it's called, uh, again, Brickyard Empire. And if you recall, Mark Dill, who wrote the book, mm-hmm. Legend of the First Super Spy, who's been on our show, uh, he's uh, he's in there as one of the um, experts lending commentary to the um, to the period time. So if you recall, uh, Mark Dill, a friend of the show and race historian. So I found it to be very interesting. And I just think it's great that they've taken this. I, I think when they they picked up the building, it was like three walls and one was missing three walls. And part of the roof was all that was left. So you're talking they almost rebuilt it from scratch. Well, yeah, it's good to see. it's good to see. I'll be definitely need to check that one out when it becomes available because I think that's very very unique. I'm kind of very slow when it comes to catching up on shows and stream programming, streaming programming. So it's one of those that I'll definitely have to put on my bucket list on programs that I need to watch along with the Randy Lanier episode. Oh, so yeah, the Randy Lanier episode. Yeah, it's another good another good uh, off season watch if uh, if you have Netflix. It's the uh... The series is called Bad Sport, mm-hmm. and it involves it involves different sporting scandals. And the an episode is entitled "Need for Weed," which chronicles Randy Lanier, who was an IMSA champion and the Indy 500 Rookie of the Year, who financed his racing by smuggling marijuana uh, from Colombia into the United States. And you know, I remember when all this happened, um, and of course, Randy ended up spending 27 years in federal prison. He was given a life sentence uh, at the time. And this is, you know, this is right in the eighties when there was the, uh, the so-called war on drugs and they, they had some pretty harsh sentences for, uh, 
for drug trafficking. And he was, he was nailed with the, um, the kingpin label, which gave him the life sentence. Although after 27 years and marijuana being legalized more and more, it didn't seem right to keep some of these guys with life sentences uh, in prison for trafficking a substance that is now becoming legal. So Randy was released from prison uh, a few years back and he tells his story. He, he tells his own story in this. He, he's the main narrator of this episode. Uh, and it's just, it's fascinating because yeah, I was rather young when I was in high school in, in the eighties when this was going on, but I was not aware of the vast scope of his drug running empire. Uh, this guy was smuggling as much as $50 million worth of drugs into Holy. the country at a time in a shipment. And, and he tells you how he did it. And, and at the same time, the dude was marvelous behind the wheel. Uh, I mean, here's a guy who as a privateer beat the, uh, beat the factory Porsche team and took the IMSA title. So uh, that's a very, very interesting watch. Um, and uh, yeah, you'll enjoy watching that one too. So, all right. We've got just a few moments left. Any, any other news stories or anything we want to catch up with? I know it's been a, a bit of a slow week as everything is winding down, there, really getting ready for Thanksgiving. There is this little detail as far as I'll make sure my rare ARCA notes. So ARCA has released their East and West schedule. East only have, if I remember, the same amount of, similar to the same amount of races as it did this year, very minimal. Only like the last three or so races were our combo races with National. New Samurta is now a Tuesday night race rather than Monday. The West will have 11 races, so they went up to differences. They're not going to Colorado this coming year. They're returning to Evergreen, which does make me happy being a Washington kid. I'm glad they're back. They'll have two races in Portland in Junction of IndyCar Weekend and also the Xfinity Weekend. So there'll be two races at the June Portland race, which is the main build, the Xfinity Series. They'll run at Irwindale twice, and they'll run at Phoenix twice as well, so... Good influx of races. Oh, Kern County is also back on the calendar. So it's very, it's, it's a, I like seeing the West getting double digit amount of races because I feel like the West has gotten better in terms of number of entries, whereas the East has been, their problems, the number of races, very, very small. So we'll see how that's going to look like, especially whether or not which team Jesse Love will end up because. He won't be with McAnally, Bill McAnally next year because Bill McAnally Racing are going from Toyotas to Chevys, and Jesse Love is heavily involved in the Toyota program that is pretty much either going to be more Venerini or somewhere else in the Toyota camp. But the question is, will he run for a third straight West title or venture off running however many races he'll end up running with? Because he doesn't just do stock cars. He runs the lay miles, he runs the dirt and all that stuff. Very young, versatile talent from California, 16 years old. So be curious to see how that goes. And and also the going back to Alonso's podium, first one since 2014. And I guess the one thing we didn't mention was the uh, the fact that the Formula One grid for mm-hmm. 2022 is now set with uh, mm-hmm. Antonio yeah. Giovinazzi been been uh, handed his walking papers and um, yeah. Alfa Romeo has signed the first 
driver from China as a Formula One driver, and the man's name escapes me now. Richard, maybe Wang Yung Zhou. Wang Yung Zhou. So, um, Guan Guan Yung Zhou. Guan Yu So. Yeah. So he'll be making his debut yeah. as a Formula One driver. Uh, you know, representing um, the country of China. So uh, I think there has been a Chinese test driver, hasn't there? There's I been think a couple. So, yeah, of, I was going to say, but I, never I, a full time uh, driver. No. So I, had, I had to look that up because I said, is that right? He's the first Chinese. I know there was the somebody yeah. I, I ran a couple of IndyCar yeah. starts a number of years ago. Um, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But yeah, he is the first, you know, proper race day driver. And uh, yeah, it's quite interesting because obviously after, um, you know, it was announced as the change, you know, um, Giovinazzi sort of made some comments and they were, I thought they were pretty normal, acceptable comments. You know, there's nothing disparaging there. He just said, you know, money talks in racing. And, uh, you know, I think he's very true in what he's saying. And uh, the, um, uh, the, the, the the team principal of Sauber didn't take particularly kind to those comments. And it's like, dude, you just fired the guy. What do you expect him to say? You know? Yeah. Well, Jim and I mean, he's going to Formula E with Dragon. Yeah, Dragon Petsky Autosport. I was going to yeah. who the driver, his teammate. Um, yeah. I was going to say I was the, sorry, but he's used to be, didn't it? No, I'm not sure who they've got now. So it has three. It has three names in it. It's like from Brazil. Yeah, Camara. Oh, Sergio. Like Sergio Camara. Camara. Sergio. Yeah. 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 Another. Yeah. So we're good on this show, aren't we? We know what we're talking about. Yeah. Good grief. And, yeah. And for <laughs> now, it looks. And as far as the F2 championships concern, the points leader Oscar Piastri is there. It's going to be Alpine's reserve driver. Yeah. So. Is looking like he'll be the second F2 champion. We'll see how the next two Grand Prix weekends will look for him. That won't yeah. have an immediate F1 seat with the other one being Nick DeVries. Yeah, there's, and, there's and, sometimes you know, and, yeah, Nick DeVries is going to be testing an IndyCar here coming up pretty soon. As a birth of the Mercedes Formula E drivers as well. Well, he's obviously he's yes, one of those, isn't there? Van Dorn. Stoffel Van Dorn, yeah. Stoffel Van Dorn is yeah. going to be testing um, the, the McLaren and. Um, Oh, I forget who Nick DeVries is testing with. Uh, is it uh, is it Ed Carpenter? Everybody yeah. tests Red Carpenter. Yeah, I know. I'm going to be having a test with them soon. Yeah, I think yeah. they're going to need it now. <laughs> the U.S. Air Force is no longer sponsoring the efforts of the twenty the Ed Carpenter program. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's that's a great story we could have talked about, but we are out of time. So. Yep. Matter of fact, I mean, it's a minor detail. So. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, matter of fact, we're in overtime. So, um, so anyway, so I guess I just want to thank you, Richard. Thank you, Louise. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network, Spreaker, YouTube podcast, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. And I want to thank you folks who listen to us week in and week out. But until next week, good night. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.